welcome to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Ben Kaji. And uh, we've got yet another very special guest for you uh, this episode. Philip, tell us who it is. Well, this week we're going uh, deep, deep underground in Barcelona to a very unusual space called Pumarejo, uh, which is an artist studio space. Uh, it's a private kind of members only joint where they do... Um, where they do underground concerts. I saw Maxwell August Croy play there a couple weeks back. And um, we're going to be venturing there to meet up with Don't DJ. Uh, that's uh, the latest alias of Florian Meyer. He was in the group Institute for Fine Motoric, uh, who played prepared turntables, turntables uh, prepared with uh, rubber bands, paper clips, things like that. No records, just just small household objects going clatter, clatter, clatter. Uh, and then he was also in a group called Durian Brothers, which did something similar, but more in uh, kind of an on African music tip. So we're going to be talking to him about his uh, live performance and his recent releases and his ideas about exoticism and authenticity. Um, we're sitting in here right now in a in a music studio with a drum kit. I see a Fender amp, a couple Fender amps. Um, there's some acoustic... Um, uh, paneling on the walls and yeah and we've just uh seen florian meyer uh don't dj play a live set here in uh in a really interesting room with i'd say about a, a crowd of about 40 people uh there was there was like a three-year-old girl with her parents there was a cat uh at least one cat i think there were maybe more cats and um yeah this uh, to me seems uh, to be about as underground a space as i've been in Barcelona, so so it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, so we're here with Florian Meyer, don't DJ, and um, Florian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Have you been to the space before? Have you played anything like this? I mean, what 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 was the night like for you? I've I've never been to Barcelona before. I've always wanted to come here since my more active skateboarding days. Now I'm I got problems with my hips so i did not bring my board along but i i went to some of the spots i know from the videos the mock and exactly that one yeah um well i found out that i did not have anything to do there so i left quite quickly <laughs> <laughs> no but i'm really glad they they invited me here i i really like the space i mean the space i played in with this huge diffuser like it's like 10 to three meters big diffuser 10 to three to one meter actually Wh like what is a diffuser you were telling me about this earlier a diffuser is uh is something you put in studios in order to have the reflection not come from the from the same uh from the same level but to to add many different levels so, yeah so as i understand it was a f the the space that you played in the performance space which again, I think it. I think there were about forty people in there, and it felt, you know, pretty full. That you could have fit a few more people, but I guess it used to be a recording studio, or maybe it still it, is. I guess it. It definitely was one. Yeah. You like noticed that quite old, even like from seventies. Yeah, probably. You noticed that the the walls are not parallel in there. You said. Yeah, yeah, and I was wondering if there was um, like built to be a studio, or if they built a, a, a room inside the room which is quite possible since like you mentioned it's a residential house mm -hmm. so um, playing loud sound in residential houses is is not 
common uh, custody. <laughs> right. Well, and if you noticed as you move through the hallways, all it's like it's like if you're in a submarine. It's like with airlocks. You know, it's like every time you go through a door, there's a set of double doors essentially, and so you have to like crank this massive lever to seal the first door. And then you can open the second door. And I mean, they, they seem to be kind of lenient about that. But but still, you have this sense of like, I don't know, that you really have to keep the sound inside. And yeah, so I've been following your work for, you know, quite a while. First from Institute for Fine Motoric and then Dorian Brothers. And I saw you play with Institute in um, Cologne, like, I don't know, in like 2000. Five alone. You were there. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Like I, when we played in the like, I I don't really remember. Pop. I must have been there for Co Pop. Is that possible? Like I I just know that I saw you play, like super super long. A ago. long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> so Institute for Fine Motoric um, was or is I, I don't know if it's was or is, but a project based on playing empty turntables, um, t turntables that have been prepared with rubber bands, uh, paper clips, things like that, and also CD players, creating loops, multiple people using mixers and, and effects. Um, saw you with some turntables tonight, and I want to ask a little bit about what you were doing with those. Then with Dorian Brothers, I know that you were also using some of those same techniques. So maybe to catch us up to date, what is the Don't DJ project and, and kind of what are you doing with it and what kind of techniques are you using? It's basically for me, the Don't DJ project is a kind of rhythm research thing. There is some kind of continuity in the projects you mentioned for me, uh, starting with the IFF, the Institute for Fine Motoric. We were only using turntables and mixers and we would not use any effects, even if the mixers would have okay. some. We would not use that. We would also not uh, edit if we uh, record it. We would just like, uh, it It would have to be one take. And if we didn't like it, we would have to do another one. It was like very conceptual in that, in that sense. And two of the four, initially four, sometimes five people of the IFF, um, continued uh, to, to Durian Brothers. That was Mark and me. And um, there we were like breaking this concept and we were including a third guy with a sequencer. We were uh, using effects on, on the turntables, but we was, would still use the same techniques, which is to fill in the audience, um, leaving out the records and try to come up with other means to, mm -hmm. to produce sounds, which basically boils down to lock grooves, uh, CDs instead of lock grooves with like etchings on it or stickers on it and uh, rubber bands which you can like put diagonal over the the turntable and use as kind of strings and uh, the the don't dj project also utilizes the turntable but only as means to produce kind of like soundscapes and um, for me playing with this turntable for like 15 years um the it has become so much of an intuitive instrument that if I think of um, I want to have this or that sound, I just know how to do it with turntable. I, I would not know how to how to like come up with it so fast with a sampler. So that's why that's why it's it's still incorporated in in that project. Also, there's another reason. Um, it gives some 
different quality to the sound. It's a uh, it's different. It's a very haptic, rough sound. That's quite different from stuff you get through the computer. I could obviously sample it uh, in, in high resolution and replay it, but then that's not the same fun as to do it live. There's a certain element of surprise in there. I'm sorry if this is an obvious question, but for someone who uses turntables and what they do, Don't DJ seems like a quite provocative name. Is that what you were thinking? Is it provocative? Well, actually, when I took up the name, um, I was not uh, producing so much. I was, uh, it was just a DJ name. Is that, is that provocative? I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it, it was a paradox. I mean, the, the reason I came up with it is um, if, if you call yourself like Florian Meyer and you're going to DJ, some guy, who, some promoter who, who has to put you on a flyer will call you DJ Florian Meyer. So to avoid that, that kind of uh, adding of the DJ thing in front, I was thinking maybe I could find a cool name which already has the DJ in it. Being a fan of alliterations, I came up with the Don't DJ. That's kind of the whole story to it. And uh, the funny thing is, there actually are flyers that say DJ Don't DJ. DJ. Don't DJ. <laughs> I saw you had a turntable up there. I mean, you were tonight you were playing on your laptop. From what I could see from where I was sitting, and sometimes there was a cat in my way, but there you it seemed like you were the only controller you were touching was a DJ mixer. I might be wrong there, and then you had the turntable. And on the turntable, it was only really obvious when you were sort of speeding it up or slowing it down with your fingers. And so there would be a sort of like kind of thing going on. What what were you doing with the turntable and, and also what kind of records are you using? You you say that to, to play the turntables for you is more intuor, intuitive than making the sound from another means. Like what kind of source materials are you using to get those sounds? I was still using some of the techniques we came up with Institute for Fine Motoric, mainly the rubber bands. But also I use a scratched uh, laser disc, <laughs> which is a nice, uh, nice thing. It's they are quite heavy, and uh, you can you can put more uh, uh, more grooves on it than than on a CD. That's that's why I travel with my laser disc. I used those, and I used maybe about three records tonight, three or four. The main stuff comes from the computer. I use some uh, some sequencer. It's it's called Euclidean Rhythm. No, Euclidean Pattern Generator. It's by Wouter Hissenmüller. It's a, a Dutch guy who's uh, actually a painter, but he made this uh, small program a few years ago. And it's it's freely available on the internet. It's it's a bit buggy, but it's fun, and I I use that a lot for creating uh, rhythms, and um, I send MIDI signals to Ableton Live, where I use physical modeling and other synthesizing uh, techniques to to create the sounds, and in order to not uh, uh, overload my computer, um, I. I have to reload or I have to load a new project for every track I play. I think I played five or six tonight. Yeah, I think it was five. Maybe, Maybe it, was it felt five. like five. It was probably five. And uh, 
so I, I reload and in between I have to if I don't want people to clap all the time or <laughs> <Right>. silence <laughs> I mean they clapped anyway after the now. first song and you looked a little like taken aback yeah. <laughs> you're sort of like mm. <laughs> um, I, I want to to have some some soundscapes in between and uh, that's why that's where the records come in also I use the records sometimes as, as a bit of ambience um, with a lot of uh, of delay and mm -hmm. um, and sometimes a, a bandpass filter, which which is a, a very easy way to to get it into my rhythm. Like I I just have to like sync the the effects on my mixer and and not the stuff that's on the records. I mean the the records I used tonight was were like all without beats. It was like soundscapes. One was the Psychic TV. I found it recently. I, I never knew. It was a maxi. It's called Whales and Dolphins. <laughs> I, I never came across it. It's a really nice one. I also play the other side in, in DJ sets. I, I found it recently in the second-hand shop. One thing that really struck me tonight was people were dancing. I was um, expecting... I, I guess I wasn't expecting something you could dance to so much, but really people really got up and danced tonight. Is that something you aim for? I mean, do, do you want to get people dancing? Were you surprised that so many people danced? Or? I really don't care if uh, how people react. I'm, I'm always happy if... Um, people don't leave <laughs> but other than than not leaving i'm i'm just uh, i just leave it up to the people and uh it's i mean i have uh bass drums uh and often that's what what it takes to get people <laughs> dancing even if the rhythm is kind of s strange it's uh, for me it's totally okay if people are like laying down on their backs with their eyes closed and listening to it it's it's one of my favorite forms to to consume music be it dance music or other um but obviously i i also like if they if they dance and they they often do actually i was curious about how you approach rhythm because um i mean you had some really complex rhythms i mean there was a, there were some early on that um we, we were ben and i were looking at each other we were like how do you count this like what's happening you know and like i don't understand how to parse this sequence and then you kind of threw a kick drum into the, it's like there were sort of hi-hats that seemed regular and it's like, okay, I see where this is going. Maybe sort of a triplet pattern. And then you threw like a tom on top of that that felt like a kick drum and it felt regular, but then every X beats it kind of stumbled. And it was like, this is really messed. This is like, I don't understand this at all. And then you threw a kick drum on top of that that all of a sudden made everything make sense and everything fell into place. And even the weird stumbling tom in the middle, it made sense somehow. And then toward the end of the track, you took the kick drum away. And again, it was like, oh my God, I'm like flailing all over the place. What's happening here? Um, is, that, is that a conscious thing? I mean, do you usually know kind of where your tracks are going and how they're building? How are you playing with these different rhythmic ideas? It's. I have a, a really a pretty simple approach <laughs> to the whole thing. Um, well, I I just play around with rhythms um, in my studio, and uh, I, I try to assemble one groove that that really works for me. That I could like listen for like a really long time. I don't want to be that hard on the people and just listen to them. <laughs> so in order to make it a bit more interesting, because people like some kind of 
narration or some kind of uh, getting up. Um, I use this um, this complex rhythm, which for me works, and disassemble it, and then like turn it back on. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of the thing, and uh, and then I can also play around with it a little bit and that's that's about all there is to those tracks it's i mean there's there's mostly no melody as you have realized and also there's no no like third acts or uh or bridges or right right there's no verse chorus exactly exactly (laughs) there's it's just like there's one rhythm which is like in the beginning mostly strangely disassembled and sometimes as you say like um i know which element like makes everything Pulls else together. fall yeah. into place and i think very skilled listeners or musicians better said um they they maybe know where the whole thing is going mm-hmm. already quite early on and uh guys like me they only get it when the bass drum <laughs> is hitting the thing is um the more often you listen to it the the more you don't need that it doesn't even have to be the bass drum sometimes it's the hi that makes sure, it all work sure. but um it's kind of fun to also leave that out i i don't want to to be too demanding, I think. I, I, I actually want to please. That's why I, I try to deliver. At, so at sometimes I, I bring in that, that element that, that makes the whole thing go round. There's a thing I get sometimes when I'm listening to, to dance music, and I don't know if this is the same for you, Ben, but sometimes if you, like maybe if you drop the needle on the record in, in kind of the wrong place, like if I hear the kick drum and it doesn't feel like it's hitting on the downbeat, but it feels like it's on the upbeat to me. Like, I can't turn my brain around. I don't know how to describe this exactly, but but you're listening to a dance track, and you can't force your brain to kind of orient the kick drum on the one. And so you're, it's very, it's like an optical illusion or an oral illusion, and you can't kind of flip you, you can't catch up to the to the downbeat and and I had the same sensation with some of with some of those passages of of your stuff is this like kind of mental gymnastics and then everything kind of slots into place and your brain sort of resets and uh, it's very satisfying when that all happens but the funny thing is um, with some tracks I I produced like the finished tracks I'm not talking live because um, in life you turn on the kick drum at some point and then it's turned on and the the first kick drum will set a new one like wherever your one was before the the kick drum will and um also same similar stuff happens with with snares so i often try to make the snare not not too straight like so often i use a five for the snare or stuff like that um but it can also put a new one when the kick drum's already running for some time the funny thing is if i come across a track of mine uh, already running when I enter the room or if it plays on a strange stereo system which has a, a strange uh, emphasis on, on some mids or something I sometimes get another one than the one I've been used to and the one I know what was always my one and I cannot get back to that exactly. that that's, that's it's about. really yeah. a funny thing and um, I, I just brought out an album it's called uh, music Acephal, and uh, that is kind of um, the name for that concept I think it's maybe a, a contradiction in terms but um, because we always have some kind of head to a rhythm I mean I think that's how a rhythm works I kind of find it uh, tempting to 
play around with the thought that you don't have to have a fixed one to to a rhythm but it could be said like anywhere that's also something i try when when everything's running in the rhythm and i play around with it i change emphasis I'm, you might have realized uh, it's mostly with these kind of snares or uh, like kind of stick things this this sharp dry uh, strong hits i i use um and i they can put an emphasis on on a on a sudden and uh, unexpected point and sometimes this changes the whole arrangement and um I mean, although you you listen exactly the same sounds in the same arrangement as you did 10 seconds before, they sometimes sound completely different just because you changed the emphasis. That was a bit the idea of the musique acéphale. Can, can I take you back to Authentic Exoticism, which was released um, early this year? I wanted to ask one thing. What is going on with the cover of that record? It's it's done by Marco Butikova. He's a he's a Swiss guy speaking Italian, from, so from the from the southern Swiss region. And with him and Lotte Merritt Effinger, I run this label called Sexes. And he listened to the sound, read the text. I, I wrote the text that's inside uh, of the cover, and. Um, then he created these strange hybrid instruments. We kind of took the least, <laughs> the least demanding of those. Uh, they were more demanding. And yes, <laughs> okay. yeah, there were a few, and we were thinking about putting a few on the cover. And then, in the end, we were like, "No, let's just stick with one." And um, the the whole thing is about hybrids. Um, it's about um, the the idea of uh, authentic exoticism, which is again, I guess, a contradiction in terms. The whole thing was about like you know, in our scene, the the exoticism, even if it's not called that way, seems to be a big thing. It, it seems to be a big attractor to to many listeners. Yet people don't really like to call it that because exoticism has a bad reputation and probably rightfully so because it's mostly based on a romanticized uh, cultural imperialistic view on the world which is and it's a it's a completely western concept i wanted to make the point that there might be something positive to it too namely it could be something like the the avant-garde of the cultural hybridization which is a, a process we're i would say engaged in no matter if we like it or not like in in our days like cultures are merging and especially in music they have always done i mean um rhythms travel across front lines that that has been a well-known phenomenon for for hundreds of years and 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 people don't care they they are just fascinated by a new rhythm and they don't care if it's the enemies that came up with that it seems like that is a fruitful uh thing to look into i don't want to say we should go too easy on that we should we should be quite conscious about what we are doing because we are not living in a in a space that is that fell out of time and history i mean we're living in this uh, post-colonial world and there's still power structures that have been put into place some 500 years ago. Yet it's not all bad that, that comes along with it and music has kind of always known that.
yeah i was gonna say like listening back to to um to the record today i felt like there was a certain sort of fondness for the idea of exoticism i mean on the one hand there's kind of a a critical or semi-critical eye but on the other hand like your use of like jungle noises and bird calls and and all of these really kind of cliche almost tacky sounds that i don't know i don't know how to explain it other than it seemed very fond to me you know this kind of like understanding there was a gentleness to your critique you know of like it's 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 a very gentle record it's a soft record it's it's very pleasant it's very pleasing to listen to even if sometimes it's a bit tongue in cheek or a bit um not sarcastic but you know these these it's hard to listen to jungle noise, the, these like trilling birds it's, you know <laughs> it, it's not like a serious thing right yeah um to me the the whole thing goes like um on the second side it goes over the top it's it's a kind of it's a bit too much even for me <laughs> And um, and uh, and the 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 animals also do that. Like in in the last track, you have frogs from like f- three continents. They they would not even play together any time. And uh, and also in the in the second to last track, there's like too many different uh, birds and animals and sea elephants and stuff uh, coming together. Yeah, you you're right about that. I mean, um, I I still try to be to be gentle and uh, and pleasing <laughs> but it's it's cheesy yeah definitely it's it's cheesy maybe i could mention that there's another like subtext um to it um it it's also about hybridization and like the the cover gives it away actually quite a lot there's this um pattern in the background which is made of usb symbols uh, mixed with some pseudo indigenous uh, structures or something also like my rhythms they are not really world music rhythms they are they are rhythms created by algorithms and they probably never existed maybe some uh, and no uh, certainly some did exist and i don't even know where they come from i mean that that's quite ignorant but my machine produces it and <laughs> i like them so i put them there also, the sounds, they are mostly not sampled. They are produced by physical modeling, which is also an algorithm producing like kind of hyper-realistic kind of sounds that's, that resemble some woodlocks or something, but still sounds a bit like from hyperspace or something. So the hybridization phenomenon um, encountered here is is not really one between cultures there's no other culture i was looking into and researching and um no i did not do that i the it's it's more about me and the computer like interacting and the computer gives me this algorithms and he gives some proposals and i say yeah let's let's stick with that sound and with that rhythm so it's it's actually i mean everyone thinks that that record is about uh, hybridization in terms of uh, cultures merging, but it's maybe more between uh, humans and machines than between different cultures. I was going to ask because it was called the P. I read a review which said it was um, a self-parodying idea of the exotic, and I wanted to know. I mean, do you think listeners pick up on that, or do you think listeners sort of just enjoy it for very sort of 
beautiful piece of music that you can dance to. And do you think they pick up on these wider ideas? Both, both is totally cool with me. I mean, um, if people just take it like for face value, that's that's completely fine. If people want to go deeply into it and come up with thoughts I I never even dreamt of, that's that's maybe even better. I'm happy that that people like that record. So, Ben, this was your first time to El Pumarejo. Uh, what do you think? I loved it. It's brilliant. It's um, so unlikely. You know, you just go walk down a sort of average Barcelona street, go into an average Barcelona house, and then you turns out you're in this studio. And um, But they've the studios can be quite sort of cold environment sometimes, but this not at all. I think they've made it into a beautiful place, a nice sort of central room, not massive, but, you know, room for about... 50 people? Yeah, something like 40, that. 50 people, I think. Um, there's uh, a bar, which mm. is always good. There's a cat. Cheap beer. <laughs> there's a cat wandering around. Yeah. Um, and the people there are really into the music. Um, and it's at a brilliant time as well. I've got to say 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. More people, please do things. It can't be better than that, really, for two dads. <laughs> exactly. I like the fact that when, when we walked up, we were on the street outside, and, and I was like, oh, we're here. Because it took us a minute to f- to find it. It's sort of in a, in a strange warren of streets. And I said, oh, this is the place. And you, you looked around and you're like, Wh- where? <laughs> I don't see anything at all. This isn't one of your tricks, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and his performance, I thought, was really, really fantastic as well. The way he built things. He seemed to start off with quite awkward rhythms. Well, he started off, you know, ambient, just sort of noise coming in. Um, and then he, he brought in rhythms that, that were, quite sort of awkward and like didn't seem very danceable but then by bringing in other elements as he was just talking about um it suddenly became uh, almost not commercial exactly but you know kind of a lot easier to digest if that makes sense but it was very subtle the transitions were brilliant um because you didn't really notice that it was changing in that way and then at one point i left the room for a few minutes came back and it felt like it totally changed you know even though um when you're sitting there, you didn't really notice. So it was very smooth kind of transition. Yeah, I had the same impression. I left the room for a couple of minutes, and literally two minutes later, coming back in, it was like, wait, did did the music stop and something else totally start up again? But no, it's just this kind of gradual transition, this sort of evolution. And people went from sitting on the floor to dancing. I mean, I got the impression that nobody really expected to be dancing, you know, like I, that it was going to be a sort of ambient noise-ish kind of performance but they were just so moved that they danced. Well, it was nice because it was the kind of thing where you could sort of do either. You could do both, no? And the left-hand side of the room actually was dancing. And then the right-hand side of the room where we were, everybody was on the on the floor. There were people on couches. There was a, a three-year-old girl asleep in her mother's lap. Um, it, I, I like those kind of spaces where you can sort of do whatever you like. Do they do something every month? No? I don't know how often it is... Um, I think they told us last night that it's going to be uh, another month or two before they do something else. But um, it's worth checking out if you're in Barcelona, El Pumarejo. Definitely. So, Ben, what uh, what do you have to recommend us to listen to this week? I'm going for uh, a track 
that is named to be, uh, as in... Or not to be. Well, quite. <laughs> Shakespearean techno. Um, it's by Blotter Tracks, um, which is T.B. Arthur and Magda. And as I think uh, anyone could tell by the name of the artist, it's very, very acid house. Um, but I, so many people are trying to make acid house. So many people are getting their 303s out and they're making these tracks that are okay, you know, because it's pretty easy to make an acid house track that's okay. You get the 303 going, you tweak it a little bit. Um, in fact, funnily enough, um, I have a friend of a friend of a friend who knows Square Pusher. And he told me that uh, apparently Square Pusher and, and a friend of his, they like to make acid tracks just so we're relaxing. You know, they just get on the 303 and just sort of make, you know, tweak it a bit. Just because it's so uh, easy to do. You know, you, you produce something that sounds pretty nice, not going to change the world. And, you know, you don't have to put too much thought into it. It's just like playing. It's kind of the contemporary equivalent of strumming an electric guitar or an acoustic guitar after dinner. You know, exactly. Sitting around and squelch. But this 2B. Um, part of a three-track EP. It's very different. It's very squiggly, and it's very strange, and it's recognisably sort of acid, but using the sounds to make something very different. It reminds me a little bit of early Plastic Man, um, which similarly had a great feeling of space and, and sort of psychedelic weirdness. Um, and it's quite dark and and weird and strange and slippery, which a lot of things I like in music. Well, I, I guess it makes sense given Magda's involvement because those have always been kind of qualities of her music and things that she's gravitated towards. What do you think of... Um, T.B. Arthur is uh, one of those anonymous producers. He The, the story goes that he was um, working in Detroit... Uh, sorry, in Chicago in the 90s and his music never got released for various reasons and now um, it's getting re-released but he doesn't do any interviews. No one says who he is I so he's zombie right <laughs> <laughs> he's my mate andy <laughs> every time there's an anonymous artist it's my mate andy um would you do you like that kind of thing what it... i have to admit that from the beginning the the secrecy aspect or the the sort of mystery aspect turned me off a little bit i like the tb arthur stuff i've heard okay um I'm also not an acid connoisseur. I mean, I like acid. I like good acid. Um, and his is good. Don't get me wrong. But somehow from the beginning, the whole thing of like, ooh, who is it? Mystery phone number in Chicago. I don't know. It. I, I think I'm at a point where I'm a little burned out on, um, on these sort of uh, shell games, as it were. I suppose it could just be who he says it is. It could literally just be. Just a guy. So, yeah, yeah, who doesn't want... Um, any sort of publicity just wants to get it out then again it could very well be Richie Horton who uh, has a history of this kind of thing or Fatboy Slim who knows yeah, Burial <laughs> exactly <laughs> Burial and Zombie and Fatboy Slim all working together exactly. uh, well let's take a listen to the to the uh, the Blotter Tracks uh, record <laughs>
And what's your selection? So this is an odd one. Um, it's it's a uh, it's kind of a remix collaboration. It's out on Revenge International, a uh, great New York label, really one of my favorite labels right now. In fact, I was carrying their tote bag last night and you asked me about it. It's very nice. Um, they put out uh, they put out that great Anna Homler and Steve Moshier Breadwoman record earlier this year. They just did the Caitlin Aurelia Smith and Suzanne Ciani record. Um, Holly Herndon's on Revenge. Um, so this is, this is a collaboration between Visible Cloaks who's a Portland artist. Um, Spencer D is a member, and I think uh, I think it's a two-piece, but I could be wrong. And a Japanese artist named Dip in the Pool, who had, they started recording in the 1980s, and I think they went up to the into the 90s. Visible Cloaks, you might know from their mixes called um, Fairlights, Mallets, and Bamboo. There are two volumes of them. They're on SoundCloud, and they're mixtapes, uh, DJ mixes of ambient Japanese music and, and New Age music from the 1980s. And they're all these wonderful, like, Fairlight synthesizers, digital synthesizers, um, like shakuhachi or shakuhachi, I never know the word, flutes, um, like a lot of marimba sounds, and this really fantastic kind of, like, what we were talking about last night, uh, exoticism, you know, these sort of virtual realities, this kind of um, alternate realities, kind of cheesy, not cheesy. New agey. New agey, exactly. And um, yeah, so he's, Spencer is is a real connoisseur of this stuff. Um, I've spoken to him a lot about it, and he he has just a phenomenal collection of of 80s Japanese music. And his own music or visible cloaks own music is very much modeled after that. And so this is, uh, this new record is called valve revisited and they're using a spoken word track by one of the members of, uh, dip in the pool. Her name is Miyako Koda spoken word called a sea of love. And it was the closing track on her 1998 solo album, Jupiter. Um, actually, I, I was doing a little research, and I see that CFCF, the Montreal musician, actually uh, sampled the same thing in a song of his own called A Sea of Love. Um, so this is, it's it's clearly an homage to that sort of 80s Japanese style, really weird, glassy synthesizers. The speech seems to be sort of triggering the the synth tones, and so, yeah, it's it's very disorienting. It's very kind of plastic. Uh, to me, it feels like a, a, a like a, a world that you're moving through. Like if you could imagine like a computer generation of somebody sort of melting into a wall, that's... Have you seen it, the video that goes with it? Yeah, and the video is, you know, kind of 80s digital animation, um, or not animation exactly, but um, computer graphics. It's very beautiful, and it goes very well um, with the music. Um, I was reading something about how they made it. There was like a, a program that reacts to the words or something like that i can't quite remember those that sounds about right i mean it sounds like her you know her speaking voices and triggering some kind of you know like a synthesis program that's then kind of reacting to that the technical part of it's all beyond me but the but the song itself is beautiful and it makes me very very eager to see what uh what visible cloaks are going to be doing next it makes me very very eager to go and have a bath <laughs> well um you know, get the hot water going and uh, let's check out Visible Cloaks and dis Dip in the Pool, Valve and Valve Revisited. <laughs>
水が海に海から昇る水体を巡る海から水が体の中の水は海 Ben, you had another song you wanted to talk about this week. Exactly.、Um, this is a song、um, by one of my favorite producers, and it ties into a lot of things I've been thinking about recently. It's、um, by Todd Edwards, and it's called I Want to Be in Fabric, or it might be called Fabric Intro. I, I think it's probably called both. And what happened was when Todd Edwards returned to DJing in 2010, roughly,、uh, he played Fabric in London. And he played, played like a brief UK tour. And I think for every, for every、uh, place that he played, he did、um, an intro song. This was the one he did for Fabric. And,、um, it, uh, and basically, he cuts up the vocal so that someone says, I want to be in Fabric. It really stuck with me that night. And I really wanted to get a hold of it. And obviously, with Fabric、uh, having its problems closing down, it's. Is、uh, it evokes a lot of emotions, you know, and he's made it available as a free download on his SoundCloud. And I think it, it's very important because it does, I mean, it shows what incredible care he takes. I mean, producing, how many DJs do that produce a song for like a, a, a venue they're playing? Also, it shows how brilliant he is because he has this style, this kind of cut up style that seems to come so naturally that this track,、um, which, you know, was made as an intro,、um, it almost. Sounds like he could have made it in his sleep. I don't mean that in a bad way at all, you know, but it's absolutely brilliant.、Um, also, of course, it made me think of what's happening with Fabric and what an important club it was. And I look back、um, on the lineup of that night that I saw Todd Edwards played because I hadn't thought about it in a while. And a selection of people、uh, alongside him there was Hudson Mohawk, there was Rusty, who I remember ha- actually had to cancel, Jack Master, Untold, and Joy Orbison. On one night, and you think that's why that's one of the reasons why Fabric, you know, where London needs Fabric because what a lineup that was. You said 2010, yes, yeah, and they kept on brilliant lineups like that right up to the end. And the other thing、um, I like about this song is it starts off saying, We are made of the same fabric, which To be frank, these days is the kind of、uh, opinion I think we need to hear more of. We can't hear enough of in songs. Certainly in the UK. Well, in, in the US too. I mean, not to everywhere. Let's just say everywhere we need to hear more of that. So, shall we hear some of that? Let's take a listen and,、uh, yeah, Todd Edwards. I am still here. I am still here. I am still here. I am still here. So that's another show.、Uh, stay tuned for what we've got coming up next. Yep.、Yeah, you, you're off to Unsound. I'm off to Unsound. I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to sit in my room doing nothing. <laughs> Following you on Snapchat. There, there we、I'm、go.、Doing. Yeah, exactly. I will be、uh, apparently running the <laughs> Pitchfork Snapchat. I'll be Snapchatting stories or 
something for snaps snaps i don't know for pitchfork (laughs) so if you know what a snapchat is or know where to find one by all means uh look for me or look for it and um maybe you'll find some interesting uh broadcasts from unsound until then thanks for listening